Before we dig into uh, the word together uh, this evening, this weekend, uh, Pastor Chris was giving a couple of attaboys and attagirls just a moment ago. I want to take just a moment to do a couple of those myself. Uh, uh, first of all, Chris Dreger, who's leading our worship tonight. Many of you know Chris has been serving as our uh, part-time um, interim, uh, how many other phrases can we put with it, Chris? Part-time interim uh, music leader for about the last nine or ten months, and so He's been doing that in conjunction with a full-time job, full-time ministry that he has at Word of Life, and the Lord's opened some doors for him to step into for more responsibility. So next weekend will be his last official weekend leading as our interim um, part-time, whatever else we want to say, music leader. But we just want to say thank you to Chris, amen, for all he's done over the last nine or ten months. Amen. Hey, hey, and by the way, he ain't going anywhere, all right? He's not going anywhere, all right? He's, he's changing roles. Uh, God's giving him uh, increased responsibilities at the ministry that he's serving in, but uh, he's still going to be here with us. And we continue to, uh, to ask the Lord to seek. We're seeking the Lord's direction for our music and discipleship. Pastor, we've got two or three people that we're interviewing right now, and uh, we're just trusting God's time, and amen. And uh, thank the Lord for how he provides for us. But we do want to just say thanks to Chris. And I also want to say... Wow, Vacation Bible School, wow. I think I say this every year. I think I probably do, but, but I, this is my favorite one ever. I know I say that every year. It was awesome. It was truly incredible to see God at work in a very real, very powerful way. How blessed we are. Amen? How blessed we are to have these little precious lives entrusted to us and to have so many willing people who were, last night I, I had to chase some people out of the building. I said, go home people, okay? You are dismissed. You've done enough. You've served well. Go home. Get some sleep, rest. Good job. Wow, what a privilege it is to be a part of God's family. Such a willing gracious, grateful group of people. And I just stood there last night. I was, I was standing there with some of the other kids and uh, just making snow cones. And, you know, sometimes the pastor, I'm leading all the time. Sometimes I like to just make snow cones. Amen? Anybody feel my pain? Sometimes I like to just make snow cones. I don't want to do anything important. I just want to make sure they get plenty of grape, plenty of strawberry on their snow cone. And I was standing there looking out across that field and, man, just all the lives connecting. I just stood there, I just smiled and said, thank you, Lord. What a great God. What a great God that we're getting to see Him work and move and change and touch. And I just saw so much ministry happening there. And I just stood there with snow cone. I literally, I don't know if it's going to shout it out or not. I got snow cone all over my clothes. But I just stood there covered in strawberry and grape juice and just worshiping the Lord behind the snow cone machine and just saying, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I just want to spend some time worshiping Him in that way. Let's turn to God's Word in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, we're going to look at verse 17 together this weekend. How many of you have been to the Great Escape so far this summer? Anybody been yet? Gone to the Great Escape? All right, a few of you. You know, it's funny, uh, living in this area, there's kind of a couple of different ways that you find people sort of responding to the Great Escape. you got some people that buy season passes and they go to this Great Escape every single week. Some of you go almost daily. Some people, I've noticed, treat the Great Escape like their swimming pool. That, instead of going to Gurney Lane, they buy a season pass, and they take the kids to the, you know, the waterworks or whatever. They do all this to the roller coasters. They do this almost every week, so they treat it that way. Others of you have been going to the Great Escape. You say, you know what? I'm at the Great Escape every day of my life, you know, all summer until I was 10 years old. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I don't want to go to the Great Escape. So you live here, Right beside the Great Escape, you never going to. We've got it up on the screen there. I guess that's one of the newest rides there, the Supernova. But, uh, you know, we're very blessed to have a place like the Great Escape so close to our area uh, so that we can be a part of. Our family personally has not been to the Great Escape yet this summer. I've got to be honest with you, I'm not really upset about that a whole lot. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I, I, I don't even want to say that. I feel like such an old 40-something-year-old dad to say that because I got just to give me a little bit of props, okay? Give me a little bit of man credit here, okay? Until I was probably late 30s, I loved 
the supernova. I loved all the rides, the comet, the whatever, the boomerang, all that, because I loved all that stuff. I loved the faster, the crazier, the wilder, the bigger, whatever, all the better. But somewhere around 37... 38, I mean, some of you guys told me 40 was kind of bad, you know, and, and, and it was a doozy for me. But, but so, I was expecting it to come more in my 40s. But somewhere in my late 30s, I got off the boomerang, and my head felt like I'd been in a car accident. Seriously. I thought I had, I may have, I may have had a concussion. Now, I'm not sure that anything really serious happened. But sometimes your body just says to you, uh, Let's don't do that again. Amen? <laughs> Let's don't do that again because we might break something. When we think about our heads, they are pretty important, aren't they? If you think about it, we acknowledge that by the way that we use the word head. Spiritually, in church, in God's Word, or, or even on our taxes, which may be almost as important, not really. But, 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 but we use the term head of household, right? We talk about she is the headmaster of that school. We say, hey, we're wanting to do vacation Bible school. We're wanting to do some other ministry. Who's going to head that up? By the way, praise the Lord for Patty, who headed up our vacation Bible school and for Pastor Jeff and their wonderful leadership. Amen. But when we think about the head of something, we think about something that is pretty important to whatever it is that you're talking about. And today, we want to talk about that in our spiritual lives. The Bible says that in our battle that we face, that we've talked about in these verses, that we need a spiritual weapon called the helmet of salvation. So let's go and read Ephesians chapter 7. I'm going to back up to verse 14. Just to summarize, for those of you that haven't been here, Paul's wrapping up the letter. Be strong in the Lord, in His mighty power. Put on His armor. Be able to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. Your enemy is not one another, but there's a spiritual enemy who has some forces that he's working with, who has a plan, he's attacking your life. Therefore, take up the armor that God has given you so that you will be able to resist in the evil, difficult, trying times and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Have you been thinking about that? Put on your belt of being a truthful person. Stand firm, therefore, putting on your breastplate of living right, of intending, of choosing to do rightly with your life, and having shod your feet, buckled or sandaled your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Put on the shoes of good news. Have you been taking the good news with you since we talked about that message everywhere you go? The Bible says living like that is a protection for our lives. Then it said last week we learned, in addition to all, or in addition to all these that we've talked about, taking up the shield of faith. The shield of what do we talk about? The shield of what? Trusting. Put up the shield of faith. How many of you felt the enemy shooting missiles at you this week and you had nothing to use except I'm going to choose to pick up my armor and just trust God. Amen? Psst, psst, psst. Amen? I'm putting out the fiery darts of the enemy, not because I'm so strong, but because I'm putting up the shield of trusting. And you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take, it says in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. So we've been talking about the armor that God has given us. We've been talking about equipment, you might could say, protective covering that God has given us in this battle of life, this spiritual battle. And today we're talking about one of those is a helmet called the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation certainly relates to a very important piece of our body that needs to be protected. We could kind of see that just obviously, right? This is very important. That's why Pastor Robbie fairly pretty much never gets on those big rides again. Amen? Because I need to protect my noggin, right? So, so this is a pretty important part of my life that needs to be protected. 
But most Bible teachers agree that this is probably more specifically talking about our minds. God wants to protect our minds. Now, if you think about a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier had a helmet that was either all metal, probably bronze, or it would have been very thick leather, or it was a combination of the two. And you've seen pictures of them maybe before, and it had some cheek pieces that kind of came around a little bit like a sort of like a football helmet kind of deal but but not quite uh, as 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 distinct as that and and it it protected against the possibility of a couple of things obviously they were having arrows shot at them so if I'm having arrows shot at me it'd be nice for something to sort of protect me against that but even more specifically directly when they would get into hand-to-hand combat uh, many times they had a short sword that we're going to talk about here uh, coming up in a week or two but they had this broad sword that was about three or four feet long that obviously they were either trying to, sorry to be gory, but split their head open or decapitate them by taking their head off or taking that sword and taking the butt of it or taking the metal part of the flat part of the sword and hitting them with that sword and obviously causing fatal harm to the soldier. Obviously, that would compromise them in a way that was not good for their lives and for the battle. Like me on a roller coaster. They knew, I need some protection. We better watch out for this. Most Bible teachers, like I said, believe that it's saying that our minds are so important to our lives. Our minds are so important to our experience of life, to the direction of our lives, that they need to be strongly protected. And the Bible says that God has given you a very, very strong protection for your life. God has given you something called salvation to protect your head and your mind. One Bible teacher said, as Christians realize more fully what our salvation means and live our lives more in light of who we are in Christ, we have every reason, not a lot of reason, We have every reason to be more confident of the outcome of our battle. And there's several distinct aspects of that that I want to talk about. I want us to explore a little bit as we look at God's Word together this weekend. The helmet of salvation means, first of all, I can know that I am right with God. The helmet of salvation gives me the confidence that I can know that I am right in my relationship with God. Now that is quite a statement to make. In fact, some of you are sitting here right now saying, Pastor Robbie, I appreciate your confidence. I appreciate how assertively you're you're presenting that. But but i got to tell you, that sounds a little bit braggadocious. That sounds a little bit overconfident. What do you mean by that? Others of you are saying, is it true? Is it possible? Could it be? Because maybe, whether you've identified it or not, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but many of us are here right now because we are wondering, is it possible for me to have a personal relationship with God? Is it possible for things to be right between me and God? The Bible says that God has given you the helmet of salvation. And one of the things that means is that you can know 120%. You are right with God. We're talking about our heads. As I said, we're talking about the battle for our minds. And one of the ways that the enemy works... Listen, we we learned in these verses that the enemy has strategies. The enemy has plans. The enemy, he's been doing this for a while. He's been observing people. He's been observing us for a while. And so he's picked out some pretty good things that he uses against us. And one of the ways that he works overtime in many people's lives is causing us to wonder where we stand with God. Isn't that unnerving? Isn't that holding us back? Isn't that causing us to wonder about the next steps that we take? Wondering where we stand with God even after we say that we've given our lives to Him. Friends, the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you become a child of God, when you have been born again, when you have put on 
His helmet of salvation, you can know that you are right with God. Can I get an amen? amen? I was just talking with somebody this week about this. And maybe you can relate to their struggle. This person said to me, Pastor Robbie, I have accepted Christ as my Savior and I continue to accept Him. I said, well, well, let's stop for just a moment. Let's talk about that. You said that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Let's explore that. What does that mean? Because accepting Christ means I understand the offer and I've received the offer. And a few weeks ago, we, we talked about the good news, right? So we talked about the good news is that Christ created, God created us. He's got a purpose for our lives. We can't have that purpose because we're not right with God. But Christ came and died on the cross. We symbolized our reminder of that. This communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, the Eucharist, the Last Supper, all those things, whatever you want to call this, this does not accomplish that for us. It reminds us of it in a powerful pictorial way, right? Christ died for me. He died in my place on my behalf. He rose again. He says, I have forgiveness for you. I have the power to back it up. I can give you eternal life. If you will receive my gift, put your faith, we talked about last week, your trust in me, you can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. Now this person that I was speaking with said, I've done that and I continue to do that. I said, okay, praise the Lord if you've done that, but why would you continue to do that? And this person shared with me, like many of you maybe have felt, that they knew that they had been born again, like I just described, but they continue to ask the Lord to be their Savior, listen, just to make sure. You know what I share with them? There was a time in my life where every night before I went to bed, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior again. Every night, as a young man, I would pray, Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to make sure, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've already accepted you as my Savior, but I just want to make sure, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me my sins, come in my heart, be my Savior. I did that every single night. But then somebody shared a verse with me that I shared with this person I want to share with you, 1 John 5, 13. The Bible says, These things have I written to you who believe, there's our word from last week, these things have I written to you who faith in the name of the Son of God so that, why have I written these things to you? Those of you who have trusted in Christ, why have I written these things to you? So that you may what? No. Say it louder and prouder than that. So that you may know that you may know, that you may be certain that you have, notice what kind of life God calls it. How long does that last? God doesn't just say, I gave you life. God said, I give you of the kind, the quality, and the quantity that is eternal, that lasts forever. Can Can I share with you, as soon as somebody shared that verse with me, I stopped praying every night. I didn't stop praying. I stopped praying that prayer. I stopped asking Jesus to be my Savior because I said, I've already become a child of God. I don't need to come out, keep asking Him because He said, I don't need to continue asking Him to be my Savior. I am His child, and I was the first time I understood and received that gift. Let me illustrate it to you like this. Kind of how it works. The reason I think sometimes people get confused. When I leave the house, I go to work. Let's say on Friday I left to go to work. Leave the house. I say, hey, one of you guys talking to the kids, one of you guys wants you to mow the grass. Maybe I say to one of them, hey, I want to make sure you clean your room today. Okay, when I come back at the end of the day, the grass is not mowed. I'm not feeling too good, am I? All right, the grass is not mowed. Then I go upstairs and that room is not clean. So I immediately commence to pick up all their earthly belongings, put them on a street with a letter on it that you are no longer in our family. (laughs) Now, even though I've been tempted, (laughs) I'm just kidding. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That would be absurd. And you need to see your relationship with God in exactly the same way. God is more faithful 
than this dad. Amen? God loves me more than I love my own kids. It's not even a question. Once they're born into their family, they cannot be born out of it. Now, we might still need to have a conversation, right? That doesn't mean it doesn't matter, but, but we're not even in the category of see ya, right? We're not even in the category of that was the last straw. We're not even close to that, but we might need to have a relationship. We might need to have a conversation about it. So when you're born again, when you're born spiritually, when you're born into God's family, you ask for forgiveness once and for all, turning to Him, being born into His family, and when you do, you are forever secure in His great arms. Amen? And when I make wrong choices, when I sin, they do not sever the relationship, but they do hinder the fellowship or my closeness with God. Does that make sense? So they don't cut off the relationship, but they do cause uh, obstacles in the relationship. A good example I think of is plumbing. Okay, if you've got pipes, all of us at some point, if you own a house or you know, you're responsible for a household, all of us at some point have a stopped-up pipe, right? And many times, Drano or whatever, you know, that takes care of it. But sometimes you got to get the snake out. Anybody ever seen one of those before? you got to get the snake out. you got to get the plumber to clean out your pipes. Have you ever opened up those pipes and seen what's in there? That stuff's nasty, amen? I mean, you say, were we eating that? You know, or were we, did we put that down there? No, it's just stuff. It's just gunk. It's that, but listen, I still have plumbing, I still have the piping, but the, there's not a lot of flow going through because there's something that's blocking the flow of those pipes. So once you accept Christ as your Savior, you ask forgiveness not for salvation for your soul for all of eternity. You ask forgiveness for God to cleanse you of anything that's getting in the way of your closeness to Him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And knowing that, what I just shared with you, having that security, wearing that salvation on your head, in your mind, will keep you safe from many of the attacks of the enemy. Remember, he's wanting to do whatever he can to render us ineffective, right? Whatever he can do to get you down or to get you out or to get you running in circles. In fact, after I shared with this person this week, this truth out of 1 John 5, 13, this person said to me, well then, I guess I can move on. (laughs) Boom, amen. Because isn't that what we've been doing? We've been walking in circles wondering, do I even have a relationship and the father's just saying, oh no, oh no, what would I say if my kids said, Dad, I'm sorry I didn't clean my room, please don't kick me out of the house, please don't, please don't write me out of the will, I don't have a will, I mean, yeah, there's nothing left, but, but please don't, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is they're wanting to stay a part of, Dad, please don't do that, I wouldn't, I would say, sweetie, honey, buddy, no, we're not even near there, right? Knowing that gives us all kinds of strength in the battle. I can know I'm right with God. The helmet of salvation, though, tells me my mind is protected by God. As we said, the battle in many ways is a battle for our mind, for our thinking. What kind of things daily threaten our thinking? Write these down. First of all, doubt. We just dealt with some of that. Doubt about where I stand with God. That's one of the doubts. But other doubts creep in too, don't they? Not just where am I at in my relationship with God, but other doubts happen in our minds as well. I've always kind of been a, a critical thinker or, or kind of an analytical thinker. Some of you are too. And I have to be careful with that. Because sometimes I can think myself in a corner. Anybody with me? Sometimes I can think myself into, into questions too far. Now listen, I'm not saying don't think. I'm not saying don't use your mind. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. That's not what we're talking about. But sometimes if we follow our questions too far, we can begin doubting things that we know to be true. I might every once in a while have a passing 
glance in my mind, is there really a God? And he said, Pastor Rob, you're back. Doesn't that happen? You have, you, you have that temptation come by. Is there really a God? And as soon as I think that, I say, I don't have to wonder about that. I talked to him this morning. Amen. He's working in my life right now, even on my bad days when I don't want to do right. Man, he won't let me. Amen. Man, he's working in my life. He's, he's, he's changing. He's molding. He's working around me. I see the power of his word. I cannot deny it. Amen. There is no doubt there is a God. I can doubt if we're going to make it. Don't we wonder? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it through this job? Am I going to make it through this marriage? Am I going to make it raising these kids? When He's promised. We have clear promises in His Word that He has promised to help us. It's not good to chase those doubts. And we don't want to do it, but it happens sometimes, doesn't it? So we need God to protect our minds with a helmet called salvation. And those doubts can lead to other other thoughts. Thoughts of fear. Thoughts of discouragement. Think about the power of discouragement. There was a great... This should be encouraging to you. If you feel like, I thought I was pretty close to God. I thought I was growing, not in a proud way, but just in terms of, I felt like I was moving closer to the Lord. I felt like I was growing in my relationship. I felt like He was working through my life. Why am I struggling so much? Amen. Well, read 1 Kings chapter 19. Because there is a prophet called Elijah who had one of the greatest encounters with God, the greatest miracles and victories visible. He saw the power of God visibly. Go back and read it. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, he sat down by a tree and just said, you know what, I'm just about done with this. Listen, this is right after he saw that miracle. I'm just about done with this mess. I'd just as soon die. Do godly people get to such discouragement that they even despair of their life? Apparently, right? Apparently, because Elijah did. Sometimes our thoughts in our head can lead us towards anger or bitterness or hatred. There can be strong desires to sin in some overt way. Strong desire to, to just not tell the truth, to lie. Strong desire to, to not be an honorable person and to take people's, other people's stuff. To, 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 to give in to that sexual sin. And really, I don't want to get too technical or precise. Really, it starts in our heart. But we understand as we look at God's Word, it seems that God has given us a mind, He's given us will, and He's given a will, and He's given us emotions. So, so somewhere in there, our mind becomes a part of that, right? A lot of this battle, even though our heart has a lot to do with it, somewhere in there, our mind becomes a part of that, and it begins to play out in our heads. So it's not hard for us to see that the mind and the battle for our thinking is very critical for our lives. So I also think about how does being saved protect us from that? God protects us, first of all, by changing our minds. Have you ever noticed that Jesus, from the beginning, the message of the gospel, a big part of it was repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, many have defined as change your mind. Let your mind be changed. Let your way of thinking be changed. So from the beginning, God's invitation to us to come to Him has been involved, has involved the idea that I need my mind to be changed about some things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you have never read that verse, but it just washes over you. That's what's happening to me. That's what's happening to me. I'm reading the Bible. I'm getting involved in God's work. I'm walking with God. And I am being transformed. Amen. My mind is being changed about some things. Some things that I used to think. Some things that I used to believe. Even maybe passionately, I'm at least being open to the fact that, you know what? Maybe that's not healthy. Maybe that's not what God wants. God is changing my mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, calls us to have the attitude. Many times, Philippians 2, 5 is translated, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Actually, that can be translated, maybe even more appropriately, have this mindset. Have this way of thinking in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. You can go back later and read how that's developed out. But the question is, is your thinking, is your mindset being changed more and more because you've become a child of God and you're beginning to see things more God's way than your way? So God changes our thinking, but he also grows our thinking. He grows our minds. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. In that passage, the Lord says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you will always hear me, more than likely, if we're talking about knowledge, I'm going to give some caution. Because here's the deal. There are many, many churches in the United States across the world that are not giving biblical, godly knowledge, the Word of God. Okay, so fair enough. But many churches like ours that want to teach God's Word, that want to get godly information and knowledge and truth out, many churches major on that and forget about the relationship part. So we become a big depository of information collectively and as individuals. And and you know what that builds? If you just continue to pour in information, even godly information, but you don't use it in heart relationship with God and with others. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge, the King James, New King James, I like the translation, knowledge puffs up. That's literally what it says. Knowledge puffs up. I can't even say that without doing this. What am I doing? I'm poking my chest out. I'm putting my neck out. That's indications of a what person? Prideful person, right? Knowledge by itself makes you proud. There are a lot of Christians who are very condescending to the rest of the world around them. Even to other believers, but certainly to the world that doesn't know God. Because I know a lot. Who cares if you know where Malachi is? Who cares if you can win the Bible drill? Is that what's going to get you into heaven? Is Peter going to say, oh, I'm so impressed that you won all those awards? Is that what God cares about? No. Well, God, now, knowledge is important because you can't have a relationship without the knowledge. So we're not discounting knowledge, but it's knowledge with relationship. You'll always hear me emphasize that. But still, we need knowledge, right? Many of us in this room need to grow in our knowledge. We need to grow in our understanding of God. Really, to be honest with you, all of us do. Some of us maybe feel like we have a lot of knowledge, and if that's the case, then maybe we need to start using it. But, but whatever it is, we need to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So God grows us in our minds. He also, God protects us with salvation by focusing our mind in the right direction, in a positive direction. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute or good report, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. God says that we should be focused on some things. We should be focused on things that are good and things that are true and things that are right. Can I ask you a question? Have you been focusing on the bad things? Have you been focusing on the negatives? I'm not saying we don't deal with negatives. The Bible says we have to deal with truth, with reality. But some of us are focusing on the negatives in a relationship with another person in your circumstances. The Bible says if we're going to focus, we should focus on the good things, not the bad things. Salvation changes my focus. Because I'm a child of God, I'm reminded, Robbie, your flesh wants to continue to replay all that negative. You enjoy that to a certain extent, right? I'm just being honest. Y'all don't look like I'm unspiritual. Y'all do it too, amen? Because I'm a child of God, I got the helmet on. He says, but we're not going to do that. We're going to choose with my help to focus on what is good and true and right. And then also in Philippians 4, the Bible tells us our salvation protects us by calming our minds. 
Look at verse 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there's that positive focus again, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your, say it, minds in Christ Jesus. Because you are a child of God, you have the promise from God that if you seek the Lord, He will put a guard at your heart and a guard at your mind. Many times when those thoughts or feelings come, I see that little guard standing there in my head. Sorry, you can't go there. You can't get in. You're not allowed. Amen? God has promised, because you are a child of God, to calm your minds. Even in ways that sometimes you feel a little bit... Shannon said to me before, honestly, I used to be a worrier. I used to be a worrier. But early in our marriage, I used to lay in bed at night, and I'd sit there and I'd think about a thousand things. I had these little sticky notes by my bed, and I'd write down notes. I'd turn on the light and write down notes. And I was like, Lord, I got to sleep. I mean, at the time, I got two kids. I got two jobs. I'm trying to be a good husband. I got to sleep. Would you just remind me in the morning? And I finally just got over it. I said, you know what? If it's not important enough for God to remind me in the morning, it must not have been important. And I just began to rest in the Lord more and more. Now I still struggle to some extent. But in many ways, sometimes I don't struggle. And that almost feels like I'm being dumb. Shannon will say, shouldn't you be worried? Or shouldn't you be? Yeah, maybe I should be. Maybe I should be concerned. This is a big deal, right? I mean, I'm not ignoring the situation. But there's a peace purely because I'm a child of God. Not my circumstances. Not my strength. I'm a child of God. I'm going to give it to the Lord. That's what Philippians 4 says. And once I give it to Him, I'm going to trust Him to show me if there's anything I need to do about it. But until He gives me direction, until He changes it, I'm going to let Him worry about it. Praise the Lord. Amen. By the way, you've noticed several times I've mentioned the book of Philippians. One of the themes of the book of Philippians is our mindset, is our way of thinking. So if you're struggling with that, maybe you need to read the book of Ephesians or the book of Philippians. So when you get up in the morning, you need to put on your armor. You need to put on your armor, your helmet of salvation. I'm not going to worry about if I'm a child of God or not. If I've given my life to Jesus Christ, that was settled long ago. I'm moving forward. If I'm a child of God, my mind can be protected. I do not have to face the onslaught of all those attacks of the enemy because I'm a child of God, I have protection for my mind. The helmet of salvation. The last thing is this. My mind can be used by God. I want to read you something out of uh, Isaiah chapter 59. In Isaiah 59, there's a great passage. Beautiful passage. Isaiah 59, about through verse 15, the first part of verse 15. Basically, there's a scripture. Many of you have never read it before. But the picture is painted of how lost we are without God. How much we as human beings need God to save us, to rescue us. With that in mind, listen to verse 15, the second part. Now the Lord saw. I can't even get any farther than that. We just, our motto at Bible school included God sees. I think it was God knows. God sees and God saves. Is that right? I should get a pen or something for that piece of candy. All right. God, God knows, God sees, God saves. Isn't it good to know God sees? Now the Lord saw and it was displeasing in His sight that there was no justice. Now we didn't read this. But don't forget the first part of Isaiah 59 says that we're in a mess and nobody can do anything about it. And it says, now the Lord saw. And that situation for us was displeasing in his sight. He saw that there was no justice for us. He saw that there was no man. Well, that's a good reminder in the middle of political season. There's no man, there's no woman who is going to save us. It is God alone. He was astonished that there was no one to intercede. These people are in trouble. So you're seeing this beautiful picture of God reacting to our situation. People are desperate for a helper. 
And he's astonished that there's no one to intercede. Then I love this. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to do something. Boom. Amen. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. It's all God. Amen. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate. Please make me feel good that you're paying attention. And a helmet of salvation on his head. He got that from Paul in Ephesians. I told you, sometimes you read the Old Testament, you say, they got that from the New Testament. No. Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Paul was writing Ephesians. So it sounds like Paul is referring back to these ideas from Isaiah, right? And what I think is interesting in these verses is this is a description of God, right? We've been talking about this as our armor. God is wearing a breastplate of righteousness. God is wearing a helmet of salvation. And I really think what's being demonstrated here is this. God doesn't need the first thing that we talked about. God doesn't need to know that he's saved. He doesn't need a helmet of salvation for that, does he? God doesn't need a helmet of salvation for his mind to be protected. What I think it's saying here is he's wearing a helmet of salvation because salvation is just what decorates him. Salvation is just what characterizes God. It's just what follows Him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's what covers Him. It's what's around Him. It's what God is known for and identified by. And surely, we would have to take some application of that for our own lives. If we are followers of His, we should be salvation people too. We should be known for salvation. We should be characterized, colored by decorated with salvation. Now, there's many things we could say about that. But certainly, our focus here is the head and the mind. And I believe that one big application here is that if I am a child of God, my mind is characterized by the Lord. My mind is the Lord's to use. And it can be used greatly by God. Listen, let me, listen to the statement, and then I want to explain what I mean by it. Use your mind to the fullest because you know Jesus, not in spite of it. Use your mind to the fullest because you know Jesus and not in spite of the fact that you know Jesus. Many times Christians are known as lazy-minded. Do you realize that? You know, we get fighting mad. Oh, everybody's being mean to us. Oh, everybody's talking bad about us. We've already said the world's not our enemy, so we're getting over that. Amen? We're getting over it. But instead of being so sensitive, maybe there's some truth in it. Sometimes Christians don't think a lot. Sometimes Christians are lazy-minded, and we only reinforce that perception by other people. I went to a liberal college where professors loved for that person to show up. Loved the first week of class. I hope. There's a lazy-minded Christian in my class because I'm going to blow them out of the water. Boom! Boom! You know what? They did. They did because there was a bunch of lazy-minded Christians who had a few cliches, had a few statements that they had learned in their pocket and they thought it would work and they wanted to impress everybody and they stood up in class and that professor was all over that. And they would turn around with their head down. They would be seated. And many times they'd go to the registrar and drop the class. Wow, what a powerful witness. Amen. So I realized pretty quick I had a decision to make. I'm either going to be quiet or bail out, drop the class, or I've got to find a way to be a thoughtful person who can keep my testimony and not deny God and my faith, but not be an idiot in front of the class and not give this professor fodder for saying that Christians are non-thinkers. I made a decision. I was with this one professor 
for actually my last three years when I transferred to this college. And I was one of his major students. I made a decision that I'm going to do my best to be in the top two or three students in his class in grades so that at least there'll be one person that drives him nuts that I couldn't discount that Christian as an idiot. Christians should be thoughtful. We should be intelligent. We should be well-read. We should be informed. God, friends, listen, God is not afraid of the truth. God, he already knows. He's not afraid. We should be sharp. We should be curious. We should be explorers. We should be discoverers. In fact, much of modern science and exploration, major discovery and exploration, was started because of Christians. If you read history, in fact, one of the greatest scientists ever, Johann Kepler, said that science was just thinking, we were just thinking God's thoughts after him. God's already been there. We're just chasing him down. Amen. If you are a child of God, there ought to be a hunger in you. I want to know. I'm not talking about knowledge. For, we've already said that. Not just knowledge for, for the sake of it. I want to know God. I want to understand him. I want to understand his ways. Man, we should... I know kids, what does math got to do with it? Somehow, somewhat... Personally, I like math. I know some of you are like, I can't stand math, Okay. Somehow, someway, God has put some things together. It's pretty cool, actually. Let's just go with the faithfulness, okay? Let's just say math shows you the faithfulness of God. I told my kids when they're learning math, there are many things that will change in your life. But rejoice, two plus two, a billion years from now, will still be four. That's comforting, amen? (laughs) Science! Literature, great works of art. We can use those things to say there is a God and He is at work. What is He saying to us? What is He doing among us? How am I to be involved in His work? By the way, I shared this a little while back, but many people see most of the armor, pretty much all of it, as defensive. And I can kind of understand that in some ways. But friends, I don't... As you see, this particular aspect of what we're talking about is not defensive, is it? It's offensive, isn't it? And I think the reason many of us see it as defensive is because that's the way we are. We're defensive. God is on the move. God's not on His heels, amen? God is on the move. Okay, so we need to stand and face an attack sometimes, but we're not in retreat mode. We're not even hold some ground mode. We're in hold this ground and then get ready to go take some more. For our Lord. The helmet of salvation says your mind can be used by God. Let me give you something before we close. Thank the Lord I'm saved. Amen. Thank the Lord. You say, I didn't even, I didn't even know all this coming in here or not. Thank the Lord you already saved. If you died, you'd gone to heaven. Praise the Lord. You don't even know what you got. Amen. Let me share a little bit with you about how we can describe salvation. Write this down in your notes. Salvation can be described. I don't mean to over, you know, oversimplify, or, or we can come back later and talk about these words. But in a sense, we could talk about salvation as past. We have justification. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. Okay? I'm a child of God that's been settled. I've been born again. Boom. We could speak of salvation as present. The Bible calls that sanctification. In a sense, I'm not being reborn again, but in a sense, I'm being rescued in many ways daily. Amen? Do you understand that? I'm being rescued from a lot of stuff. So we are freed from the power of sin. The Bible says there's a future aspect, because thank the Lord, I feel like there needs to be some more in the picture. That is, one day, glorification. Oh, man, thank the Lord. I'm going to be freed from the presence of sin. I ain't even around it anymore. That'll be be good, amen? That is what God has done for you. So wear your helmet of salvation with those things in mind. Would you bow with me as we think about that? Can I ask you a question? 
Do you know that you are saved? Do you know if you died right now that you would go straight to heaven, that you've been forgiven of your sins, that you are a child of God? If there's been a time in your life when you came to understand what Christ has done for you and you received His gift, then you are a child of God. And you can know, based upon the Word of God, that you are currently saved and that you will remain saved. If you don't know that, dear friend, many, many, many people have never heard that. You can know right now by calling upon the name of the Lord, saying, Jesus, I want to accept your offer to me. I believe that you died on that cross for my sins. And I believe, I trust in the fact that you rose from the dead. And I believe that you can give me life that starts now and lasts forever. And I accept that gift gladly right now. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you are saved. Praise the Lord. It's not by any works of righteousness that you have done, not even communion right now. It's because you put your trust in Him. All of us daily battle with our minds. How much of our life is directed by how we're seeing things? How we're thinking about things? None of us are ever going to get that perfect. But is God calling you to take a step right now? Because you have on the helmet my rescue. You do not have to be held captive to the thoughts and the attacks of the enemy. Father, help your precious child right now to see that victory that you have for them, to claim it, to step forward in faith in it, to take a new step in their spiritual walk where they're not bound, they're not walking in circles. I pray for, I especially pray for young people right now who are going to college, who are going to school again this fall. And they've been back on their heels or, or they've been wondering, I'm a Christian, but are we just kind of people that don't read books or, or watch TV or, or learn about things? Oh no, precious young person. Dear sir, you're a thinker and you say, I thought God was kind of afraid of that. No, he's not afraid. He welcomes your questions. Do you trust him? And you let the helmet of salvation begin to bring you the answers. Take you forward as a person who's characterized by salvation as God is. Father, thank you for speaking to us. I pray that we're getting stronger. I pray that there is more and more victory in this room because of this time we've spent together. Jesus, mighty. Lord, you are more powerful than we ever thought or imagined. Help us to see it and receive it in your name. Amen.